Hi, welcome to Destiny Church's weekly podcast. We're a church located in Columbia, Maryland, right between D.C. and Baltimore. And we're so glad that you decided to listen to our podcast. If you're looking for a message of hope, purpose, and destiny, then you're tuned into the right place. If you have any testimonies of what God has done in your life as a result of listening to this podcast, please email us at stories at yourdestiny.church. We love to hear how God is impacting people's lives through what he is doing at our church. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear from God as we jump into this week's message. Genesis chapter 16, verse 7, and it says this. Now, the angel of the Lord found her, who's her, Hagar, by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from? Where are you going? That's a big question. Think about it. Where are you coming from? Where have you come from? Where are you going? What's the direction of your life right now? She said, oh, I'm running away from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return. Ah. This might be a word for somebody today. Go back to what you've been running from. You've been running from it because it's painful. But oftentimes the place of our greatest pain is also the place of his greatest promise. He said, listen, if you run away, you're not going to experience what I have for you. Go back. Angel of the Lord, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitudes. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. You should call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her said, you are the God who sees. Can you say that with me? Say you are the God who sees. But she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? Let's pray. Father God, we're grateful. God, we're thankful. God, that you're always good. You're not sometimes good. You're not occasionally good. God, you're always good. And God, if it's not good, you're not done because good is all you know how to do. So God, we lock our eyes on you in this moment. Our ears are open. Our hearts are attuned. Speak to us, we pray. Father God, normally I'm laughing and joking and praying about the ravens. But God, today we need your healing. Heal my broken heart and smite these sensitive people. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Y'all laughing. This is not a joke. Matter of fact, sit down. I'm not gonna let you high-five nobody. Just, hey, as you sit down, can you squeeze in? Can you squeeze in? If there's an empty seat somewhere around you, get to know your neighbor, find out, was this an ax day? Was this a brute day? Was this an Old Spice day? Was this a I'm late for church, I don't have time to shower day? Whatever type of day this was, you're going to just get to know your neighbor. 
Slide in, slide in, slide in, slide in. Come on, I see an empty seat right here. I'm actually going to make you, if you don't mind, could you? Yup, slide in. We got one there and one there. We got people standing outside waiting to get in, and your purse does not get a seat. God is good. Y'all, day eight of 21 days of prayer and fasting. How many people, you're doing well, you're doing well, you're doing well, you're doing well? Come on now. How many people, come on, you, you broke it, you messed it up, come on, go be brave, be brave, God's got a grace, all that other good stuff. I was reading Slack uh, this week and somebody said, oh gosh, I started eating bubble gum, did I break my fast? Oh. <laughs> Here, here's, here's one of the big things uh, that I just want to say and then I'll jump into the message. Don't get trapped in legalism. The purpose of fasting is not to obsess over not eating. The purpose of fasting is to pursue God with a passion and with a desperation. So go after him. If you mess up your fast, guess what? Your 21-day fast became an 18-day fast. Big deal. Keep going, keep going, keep going. I encourage you, if you're having headaches or you're feeling weak or whatever, go on just a little bit of research online. I'll let you know what you need to do to get your electrolytes up or whatever it may be. And as soon as you get rid of that headache, you're going to be able to focus on God again. But I'm telling you, we've heard of, I mean, outrageous outrageous miracles just in the first seven days of the fast, tumors shrinking, people that have believed for children, been infertile for years and years and years. We found out that they were pregnant. I'm telling you, doors open. Loved ones that people have been praying for for years have come to Christ. I am telling you, God moves supernaturally when we make room in our lives for him to speak to us. Amen. I don't know what it is about this fast that just has me thinking more about food than ever before. You would think you're not supposed to be eating, so you shouldn't be thinking about food. I'm thinking about food more now than I was before I started. I was watching the game yesterday, and this Taco Bell commercial came on. And, y'all, I haven't eaten at Taco Bell in at least three weeks. And I'm just like, man. I had just like this, this desire, this craving, like for a double-decker taco. And guess what I did? I went and I broke my fast at 6 p.m. on a double-decker taco. And I regretted it, but that is a different story that I'm not allowed to tell in public. So we'll worry about that later. But question for you, have you ever been like just really excited to eat some food? Maybe you were going out to a restaurant or you heard about a certain place that you were going to and you could not wait to get there. Any Yelpers? Any of y'all? <laughs> My wife is a Yelper. If you don't know what the term Yelper means, that just means you're godly, the grace of God is on your life, and you order quickly. Yelpers are the people that they look up a restaurant on this app called Yelp and they look through every single meal at the pictures. We'll go out to eat with my wife and the waiter or the waitress, they'll bring our menus and they'll put them down. I'll open my menu, my wife won't touch hers. She says, I don't need a menu, I got Yelp. And she'll bring up the app and she'll start scrolling through pictures of every single meal. She'll start reading reviews. I feel like it's SpongeBob three hours later. <laughs> The waiter is like trying to be nice. Do you know what you would like? And she does this, hmm. And then finally she says, okay, I want this. And I don't know if I'm gonna get in trouble for this. We didn't run this by my wife before I preached this, but it's all good. She said, I want this. And she'll always pick something that's a picture, but it's no longer on the menu. And she'll say, can I have this? And you had it on the menu last year. Do you still have it? And the waiter's like, 
I've only worked here for four months. I don't know what was on the menu last year, but I'll go talk to the chef, see if they can have it or whatever. You ever been really excited about a meal? You ever been really excited about a meal until they brought it out? And when they brought it out and they placed it inside of you, this is just not what I pictured. You ever been really excited about a meal that you cooked? Getting a little close to home now until you finish cooking it and you looked at it and you're like, this is not what I pictured. This past Thanksgiving, I decided it was time for me to grow up. It was time for me to be a man. What do you mean by that? Well, every Thanksgiving up until this point, I have driven the long journey, packed my kids up, packed my wife up, and we've driven all the way 25 minutes to Baltimore, to my dad's house. And we have eaten his food for Thanksgiving. I figure, why even bother when my father hath prepareth a table before the presence of my siblings? So I've eaten his food, and I said, no, this Thanksgiving, it's time for me to man up. It's time for me to cook for myself. Not only that, my parents are Caribbean. They're from the island of Barbados. And you know if you're Caribbean, Caribbean food is a whole different ball game. If you've never had Caribbean food, don't worry about it. As soon as you go to heaven, it is all they're going to serve. So you will have your full of oxtail and peas and rice and beef stew and coconut turnovers and all that other good stuff. But this thing says, it's time for me to cook and I'm not just gonna cook normal food, I'm gonna cook Caribbean food. So I, I came up like the three easiest things I can think of to cook. I said, I'm gonna make fish cakes. Fish cakes are like Maryland's version of crab cakes, except they're deep fried, it's with codfish, it has pepper and seasoning. You're gonna notice everything Caribbean has pepper and seasoning in it. That's like the definition of Caribbean. We said, we'll do that. I said, I'll do some beef patties. Y'all know what beef patties are? Some people call them beef empanadas. I don't know what a beef empanada is. It's like sacrilegious. It's blasphemy. It's not an empanada. It is a beef patty. And then we, I was going to make something called black pudding. The best way I could describe black pudding is it's like a sweet potato pie without the pie crust. And it's not sweet. It's peppery and spicy. You, you cook it, it congeals. You put it on a cracker. It is amazing. I said, hey, this is my first time ever cooking like for Thanksgiving, so I got to do what every first chef does. Invite all my friends over so they can eat my cooking. There are actually some of them are in the room right now, so they're going to find out that they were guinea pigs. They didn't know that, but I kind of mixed everything up. I took the cod, I, I boiled it, and all this other good stuff, and I made my fish cakes, and they looked perfect. Then I bit into it. And it wasn't that bad. It just wasn't the way that my dad made it. So I served it to my guests. They yummed it up. Like, I mean, they'd never had fish cakes before in their life. So they didn't know it was off. I gave them all the leftovers. I left none. They never even noticed <laughs> that I didn't eat any of it. <laughs> my, uh, my beef patties came out and, and I got my portions wrong. You know, I've never had to roll out dough and, you know, make patties and all that other good stuff. The average beef patty, if you've ever seen it, it's about this big. My beef patty came out like a deep dish pizza from Pizza Hut. I mean, this patty was like, so we went beef patty slices is how we worked that one out. And we served them and they ate it once again. They didn't notice that I wasn't eating it. <laughs> I looked at my wife and said, hey, let's go to Pop's house after they leave because this isn't going well. What they didn't know is I made three dishes and I only served two. Made fish cakes, I made beef patties, and I made black pudding. I didn't even have the guts to bring out the black pudding and show it to them. Y'all, my black pudding was green. Like, that doesn't even make sense. 
How do you take orange sweet potatoes, mash them up, put black food coloring in it, because I gave up on trying to turn it black, Miss Ruth. I don't know how to turn it black, so I just said, let me get some food coloring, dump it in there, maybe it'll turn black and it'll look right. So I dumped the black food coloring in it and it turned green. Not only did it turn green, but it was floating. <laughs> it's just not what I pictured. You ever been in a situation where you were dealing with something that was not what you pictured? You ever looked at an area of your life and thought to yourself, this is not what I pictured? You know, when I graduated college with that degree and I, and I started off on my work life, I never pictured myself here. Never pictured myself 15 years into my career unemployed or switching to a different vocation or going after a different degree because I've hit a ceiling, I've, I've hit a wall. When I was walking down that aisle getting married, this is not what I picture. I didn't picture the bickering. I didn't picture the fighting. I didn't picture the infertility. I didn't picture the divorce. I didn't picture being a widow. This is, this is not what I pictured. Maybe you're raising a child. Maybe it's a business. Maybe, maybe it's just something about your emotional state or your mental health. Have you ever been in the situation where you're looking at a part of your life and, and you find yourself saying, this is not what I planned? This is not what I wanted. This is not what I pictured. It's difficult to look at those things. And I find as soon as we begin to look at areas of our life that are, are not what we pictured, our, our natural inclination is to go right into the blame game. We'll start off by blaming ourselves. How could I be so stupid? How could I trust this person? How could I open my heart up to them? How could I do this or how could I do that? And, and when blaming ourselves doesn't work, we start blaming other people. If my parents had only, if that person had been loyal the way that they should have, if, if they were just smarter, if they had just this, and, and if blaming ourselves or blaming other people doesn't work, then we go to blaming God. God, if you're so good like they say you are, how could you let my loved one die? How could you allow me to get this disease? How could you allow me to lose my job? How could you, how could you, I could. That's some people. Some people, when they look at an area in their life that they don't like, they begin to go to the blame game. Other people, they begin to pretend like it's not there. They lie to themselves. They say things like, well, this is how it was meant to be. You know, if this is just where life has taken me, this is like life is some, you know, controlling wind that will just blow you in different places. You know, life happens, and this is kind of just where I ended up. I'll tell you this, one interview that happens over and over again that just drives me nuts up a wall. I can't stand it. They'll be interviewing a politician or a CEO in a company or an athlete or some influencer, and they'll ask, you've heard it yourself, they'll ask this question. If you could go back and do something differently, knowing what you know now, what would you change? You ever heard that interview, you know, what would you change? What would you do differently about your acting career, about your political career, or whatever it may be? This response drives me nuts. I want to grab them, choke them, and tell them they're a liar. <laughs> That's not very godly. Pray for me. They all, you always hear them say, well, you know, if I could go back and change something, I wouldn't change anything because everything that I made, all my mistakes, all my hiccups, it made me into the man that I am right now. Liar. Listen, if I could go back to yesterday, I got 15 things on Saturday that I would do differently, mainly watch the Ravens game. But other than that, 
that I would do differently yesterday. If you're looking back and you're not, oh, this is what it was meant to be, this is, I would do everything the same, that just means you just haven't grown in 15 years. It's difficult to look at areas of our life that are not what we pictured them to be. And then it's just like, what do I do with this? In this passage that we're reading about a, a, a servant girl by the name of Hagar, she finds herself in a position where her life is not how she pictured it. She was a servant of Abram and, and Sarai, who were people that came out of a pagan culture. They were called by God and they were following God and God made them a promise in their old age that, that Abram and Sarai would be able to have a child. He made this promise when they were 75 years old. The Bible says that Sarai was physically past the ability to have children. 25 years they waited for the promise to come to pass and after waiting for just 13 years they do what a lot of us did is we try to make God's promises come to pass in our own strength. They said this isn't working out, God's not gonna do, let's help God fulfill his own promise. So Sarai took Hagar and said, hey, why don't you have a child with Hagar and then that's how we're gonna fulfill God's promise. Listen, if God said he's gonna do something in your life, he's gonna do it, he doesn't need your help. How do we think that God needs our help? So here is Hagar finds herself pregnant, but a servant. Not only was she not the main chick, she was the side chick. There's one thing worse than being just a side chick. Worse than being the side chick is when your boss is the main chick. By the way, you don't need TMZ, you don't need Shade Room, just read Genesis. There is more drama in scripture that can fill up every reality show you could ever watch in your life. Here is Hagar, the side chick, pregnant and being abused and mistreated by her jealous mistress. And, and Hagar runs away. She says, I'm not dealing with that. I, I, I'm getting out of that situation. I can't deal with it anymore. And she finds herself dying of dehydration in the middle of the wilderness. What I wanna do is I just wanna give you just three things, three thoughts of what do I do with the areas of my life that are not what I pictured? And can I just give you some grace? Can I just help you out? Everybody in this room has an area of your life that's not what you pictured. Maybe it's you have pictured your retirement being more secure at this point in life or, or your relationship with your parents or your kids being different or your health or whatever. What do I do with those areas that are not what I pictured? You need to realize three things. The first thing you need to realize is this, that God seeks me. Can you write that down? That God, God seeks me. God is, God is looking for me. The natural inclination when we have an area of our life that is not the way that we picture is we do what Hagar did. We run and we hide from that situation. Our, our natural response when life is not going the way that we want it to go is that we run and we hide. And here's what I've realized. With the 328 million plus people that are in America, there are 328 million different ways that people hide. Some people hide behind degrees. You know, you go through college, you get your undergrad, you get your grad, you get your PhD, and then you peek out at the real world. And you realize it's a little scarier than you thought it was. Oh, I'll go back and get another degree. <laughs> Three years later, you peek out again. Oh, I'll go get another degree. You have more degrees than a thermometer. <laughs> You're hiding. Some people hide behind their kids. 
Come on now. Your kids aren't that needy. I'd love to, but the kids. I'd love to, but the kids. I'd love to, but the kids. The kids at home talking about, Ma, leave. <laughs> we good. We can't wait for you to go. Hmm? Some people hide behind relationships. It, it may be romantic relationships. Some people you can't stand to be single. Your identity is being attached or being identified with somebody else. Some people hide behind friendships, not even romantic relationships. You're just the type of person that you're there for everyone. Everyone has a problem. It's your phone that they call. Everyone has a need. It's you that comes to the rescue. And what I find is it's nothing wrong with being loving and helping people and all that other good stuff. But sometimes we like to consume our lives with other people's issues so we don't have to pay attention to, to our. Some people hide behind humor. You know, if I'm just like this bubbly personality and always got something funny to say, that's me bubbly. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I always got the joke. I've always got the phrase or whatever me. Some people hide behind this stoic personality. You know, the Bible says everyone's considered intelligent as long as they don't talk. <laughs> so you have this mysterious persona. Make you guess what I'm thinking. Because I'm not going to say. Spit it out. Um, <laughs> but we're hiding. And here's what you have to understand, that as you're hiding, that God's looking for you. When I think about somebody hiding when life doesn't look the way that they thought it was going to look, I think of somebody that we all know, somebody by the name of Adam. Remember Adam? Adam was a friend of God. The Bible says every single day God would come into the garden and watch Netflix with Adam and... <laughs> Okay, God flex. I don't know what they would watch back then. But every single day, Adam would be in the presence of God. Y'all, we worship God. We sing to God. We pray to God. His presence is in this room. It's a completely different ballgame to hang out in the physical presence of God. Every day, God would come down into the garden in the cool of the day, the Bible would say, and he would talk and he would commune with Adam. That shows us God's original intention for humanity. God's original intention wasn't to make you holy. God's original intention wasn't to make you work and build his kingdom. God's original intention was always relationship. So I just want to spend time with you. But then that one day came when Eve ate the mango and then she passed it on to Adam and he ate the mango. If you thought it was an apple, that's your theological problem. Read your Bible, you'll figure it out. But when Adam realized that life wasn't looking the way that he thought it was looking, and then he heard God coming, and the Bible says that he hid it, says this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, then the Lord called God, called Adam and said to him, Adam, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And the Lord said to him, who told you that something went wrong? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? By the way, can I just help you out a little bit? Whenever God asks a question, it's one of those rhetorical questions. He never asked a question that he didn't know the answer to. I love in scripture, when, when, when God asks Ezekiel a question, he says, Ezekiel, can these dry bones live? Ezekiel's probably the smartest person in scripture. He said, God, only you know. <laughs> What am I supposed to say? He said, Adam, where are you? He wasn't asking Adam where he was because he couldn't find him. 
He was actually asking Adam where he was because Adam lost himself. It wasn't Adam, I don't know where you are. It's Adam, you don't realize where you are. Not only was God not looking for Adam's physical location, but he was looking for Adam's attention. Here's what I've discovered. When there's an area of my life that's not how I pictured, to the point where I'm disappointed, to the point where I've lost hope, to the point where I'm in despair, to the point where I'm just not dealing with it. That happens sometimes. Let's, let's talk about finances. Sometimes finances can go to such a negative place that you're just like, I'm not dealing with it. I'm not picking up the phone. I'm not paying these bills. I'm just, you're hiding. Here's what I've discovered. When I get to that place of hopelessness, it's not because the picture doesn't look like I want it to look. It's because my obsession is on the picture instead of on his face. He said, Adam, the only reason you're hiding is because you've become obsessed with your mistake and you used to be obsessed with me. Hear me, God is searching for you. And he's not searching for you to, to expose you. He's not searching for you to punish you. As soon as he found Adam, the Bible says that he killed a lamb and that he covered him, he clothed him. The only reason that God is looking for you is to cover you, is to clothe you. By the way, just a little fun theology. If you could pull up Genesis chapter 16, verse 7, it says this. Now, the angel of the Lord. Look at that. You see that? It says the angel. An angel is capitalized. Now, there's angels throughout Scripture. There's Gabriel. There's Michael. There's a multitude that showed up when Jesus was born. There's angels everywhere. Let me just help you out a little bit. When the Bible says an angel of the Lord appeared, it means any random hobby-doge angel, God just sent some random messenger, hey, go tell them I'm all right. <laughs> but when it says the angel, and that word angel is capitalized, it's not talking about a random angel. It's talking about the only person who has ever been called the angel of the Lord, and that is Jesus Christ. It says Jesus, you can take that verse down. It says Jesus came to Hagar and said, Hagar, how did you end up here? Where are you coming from? And where are you headed? Anybody remember when Jesus is supposed to show up in Scripture? He's supposed to show up in Matthew. Remember the Virgin Mary had a baby boy. The Virgin Mary had a... Y'all don't sing that song in children's church. That's how I grew up with <laughs> He wasn't supposed to come until he was born of a virgin and grew up and walked 30 years on earth and died on the cross. He was thousands of years before his time. But here's the thing. I can just imagine the conversation in heaven. Here is Jesus sitting next to his father. And he says, look, Hagar, she's lost hope. She's lost vision. She's lost purpose. She thinks that the state that she's in is going to be the future of her life. Dad, I know I'm early. Dad, I know I'm not supposed to go, but I got to go down there. I got to let her know that I see her, that I know her, that I have a plan and a purpose. There's somebody in this room. There's somebody watching online. You think you're invisible. No, God is looking for you. Luke chapter 19 verse 10 says this, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. God says, I'm looking for areas of your life that you've given up on just to give you hope in that area. He's searching for your attention. I remember if I could say I was called into the ministry, it happened uh, when I was 16. I can't really say I was called into the ministry because I feel like I'm more volunteered. 
I feel it was like one of those, God, I'm going to serve you and build your house whether you need me or not. So let's do this. <laughs> it's about 16 years old. I got filled with the Holy Spirit, and God just completely wrecked my life. And I'll tell you about that later. But I said, man, I don't want to do anything else other than help people realize that God knows that he has a plan and a purpose and a destiny for their life. And I was reading my Bible. I was telling somebody, 21 days of fasting. I started that when I was like 16. I would do it three times a year. I'd, I'd read through the Bible in six months and listen to messages on messages on messages. And I was just pursuing God with a hunger and a passage at 16 and 17 and 18. And somewhere around that 18 or 19, I was like, man, this is just a lot. I'm just being extra. I just want to be normal. <laughs> just want to hang out. And I didn't start sinning in the, what we would consider ratchet sinning. I did sin every day, but it wasn't what we consider like horrible stuff. I didn't start drinking or partying or sleeping around or anything like that. I just stepped back from being as passionate. Kind of just started to relax, hang out with friends, focus on my degree and money and career and all this other kind of stuff. And I remember there was this one day that I was skipping class and going to get lunch and got in my car, <laughs> driving back to the class that I had missed. And I actually went to Sorrento's on Route 40. All my Baltimore folks remember Sorrento's. And I had French fries. Any French fry connoisseurs in the room? You know, if you're a French fry connoisseur, what do you do after you get your French fries? You get in the car and you open the bag. Somebody say, free my fries. <laughs> if you're not a French fry connoisseur, you don't even understand this. You buy French fries, you put them in the bag, and you roll the bag up. I have a question for you. Would you like to be rolled up in a bag? How insensitive can you be? French fries deserve to be free. They must breathe. If you roll them up, they're going to sweat and get soggy. And I don't care what kind of broiler you put them under. There is no such thing as bringing back a soggy French fry. <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> so I open up my fries and I'm driving. I got my fries in my lap. And I'm like, oh, the fries are here. I might as well put some ketchup on it. So I put some ketchup on my fries. Like, if they're already ketchup, I might as well eat them while I'm driving. I'm eating, I'm driving. I'm going around this bend in Catonsville. And next thing you know, my car starts spinning. Not swerving, spinning. And it didn't spin once. It had rained a few hours earlier, and the water, the, the, the ground was wet, and my tires were pretty bald. And my car just starts spinning like a top. At first, it's just spinning in the lane that I was driving, and next thing I know, it starts spinning into oncoming traffic. And it was like slow motion. I literally remember to this day, there was a minivan that was driving right towards me. I was like, man, this is the end. These french fries are really good. <laughs> so I see this van driving towards me. Next thing I know, anybody knows about inertia and physics and all that, if I'm heading in one direction, that's where the momentum is going to take me. Without even realizing it, my car starts spinning back into the lane that I came out of. And I'm like, God is so good. He, oh, man. I was spinning out of oncoming traffic directly towards a tree. I said, oh, when God kills me, he didn't want to kill anybody else. So he's just... <laughs> He's just going to kill me on the side of the road by myself because nobody else deserves to go out with this idiot. Thanks, God. <laughs> I spin back into my side and come right next to the tree. And I'm telling you, that car perfectly paralleled park and came to a stop right next to that tree. My fries are everywhere. <laughs> Save the fries. My hands are shaking. And I just hear this still small voice. Stephen, I'm not done with you. Stop playing games. And that was it.
Here's what I've discovered. God will get your attention. He'll start off nice. He'll start off, I'm a good guy. How you doing? Hey, pay attention to me. I have a great plan for your life. And if that doesn't work, Psalm 23, 2 says this, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. It goes on to say he restores my soul. He restores my attention. God will make you lie down. What is that? What's a green pasture? Uh, the ER, <laughs> unemployment, <laughs> breakup. Uh, he'll, he'll lay you down. He said, no, 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 no. I need you locked on me. Not locked on what didn't go right. Not locked on what you thought you wish should have been different. Locked on me because I still have a plan. The second thing I want you to write down is this. Not only does God seek you, but God sees you. It's not that he's just looking for you, but he actually sees you. He sees what you're concerned about. He sees what's on your mind. He sees what you're disappointed about. He sees what you wish was different, and he wants to do something about it. Can I help you out? Can we stop lying in prayer? Can we stop going into our time with God, disappointed, discouraged, and frustrated about one thing, but talking about something different? You're disappointed about your career, but you know, God, you're good. God, I'm great. Church was good today. Ooh, I felt the presence of God. Oh, it was so good. That word was good. Oh, can't wait for connect groups to start. Oh, Baltimore's launching. I say, no, no, why are you? Yeah, you ever talk to one of those people that they avoid the topic? Come on now. You, you know something's going on or you know there's an issue or whatever it may be. And they're all around the mulberry bush. The monkey chased the weasel. They talk about everything else except what's going on. Look what God did in Genesis chapter 16, verse 11, when he came and found Hagar. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you're pregnant. Hey, let's just not beat around the bush. Let's just deal with the mess. That's the God that we serve. He doesn't do elephants in the room. He said, let's just deal with it. Let's talk about that divorce, that abortion, that depression, that bankruptcy. Let's just, let's just talk. I already, like, like, he knows. Like, can I tell you something that's a little bit pointless and is not theologically correct? But one of the pointless things is telling God what's going on in your life. <laughs> like, he doesn't know. He's like, I, I know. He said, you're pregnant. He said, watch this. You're going to bear a son. But I knew that, and I had a plan for him. And here's what you need to do. Name him Ishmael, because I've heard your cry. I've seen your disappointment, I've seen your heartache, and here's what I'm telling you, that son that you're concerned about, that you're ashamed of, that you're afraid of how it's gonna turn out, he's gonna be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her and said, you are the God who sees me. I believe God sent me today to let you know that God sees your mess. He sees the part of that picture that didn't turn out the way that he has for you, and he still has a prophecy for it. He still has a good plan for it. He still has a way how he's going to turn that thing that you're ashamed of into your good. He said, no, 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 no. This wasn't my plan. This was the enemy's plan, but I could still make it out to be great. I still have a plan and a purpose. By the way, just for some Bible trivia, do you know who the people of God are? They're Israel. 
And they're the ones that came from the promise. When God promised Abram and Sarai a child, when they finally allowed God to do it, that child was Isaac, and Isaac turned into the nation of Israel. Ishmael was them trying to do God's will in their own strength. Do you know what nation Israel turned into? Those who are of Arab descent. Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Dubai, all those different countries. You want to know why politically right now there's so much unrest in the Middle East? It's because it's two brothers, two stepbrothers that are at each other's throat until the end of time. And God blessed Israel. God has favored Israel. God's favor is on Israel. But guess what? God's favor is on Ishmael as well. And he told Hagar, as long as the earth shall remain, this nation shall be here. They are going to turn their hearts to me. They are going to be my people as well. Even the mistakes God can turn into great nations. Even things that we're ashamed of, that we want to walk away from, that we don't want to look at. So often when we think about God looking at us, our first thought is shame. God, I've messed up. I've done this. I've done that. God, how can you look at this situation? Hear me. God stopped looking at his son Jesus on the cross so that he would never have to stop looking at you. He said, because of the price my son paid on that cross, I can always lock my eyes on you. Anybody grew up in one of those houses when your parents said they were looking for you, you got nervous? Any of you had ungodly siblings that would love to deliver the message? <laughs> That's how my brother was. Dad, daddy's looking for you. And I don't know about you. When I heard daddy was looking for me, I went through my run sheet. Oh, gosh. Is my room clean? Did I do my homework? He doesn't know that I hit Stephanie. He can't even remember that. He didn't hear a scream. What is this? And you're, you're like walking, Steve, I'm coming. And you're just like, I'm Dad, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. You're repenting of things you haven't even done because you're nervous because you don't know what he has on you. That's what we think about when we think about God. God sees me. Oh, no, that's not good. <laughs> he said what I, he sees what I said. He saw what I thought. Listen, God can't see you without blessing you. God can't see you without, the Bible says this in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Here's what it means that God sees you. If he sees you, he's blessing you. If he sees you, he's protecting you. If he sees you, his eyes come with peace. His eyes come with joy. His eyes come with purpose. God sees me means God knows those areas of my life that I've given up hope on, and he has not given up hope because he is hope, and he has a greater plan or a purpose or a destiny than I could have ever thought in my life. What am I trying to get you to understand? Don't throw out those areas of your life that are not what you pictured. It may not be what you pictured, but it's what God has pictured. And he still has a great future for it. The last thing is this, and you can write this down. God seeks me. God sees me. And he sees me so I can see him. Comes to Hagar and he says, I know this isn't what you, isn't what you pictured. I know you're pregnant, but I'm telling you, I still have a plan for that child. I'm going to use him for great things. Here's what Hagar said in verse 13. She says, oh my gosh, you're the God who sees me. You know. For she said, have I also seen him? Remember capital H? She said, did I just see God who sees me? Because Hagar was taught that anybody who's in the presence of God would drop dead instantly. 
She's like, wait, did I just see God and he didn't punish me? He blessed me? There's something about realizing that God sees the intricacies of your life, that it removes the scales from your eyes that you realize, wait, he sees me. Now I can see him. Reminds me of Peter. You guys remember Peter? Peter was a fisherman. He was, he, he, he was not a godly man. And God came up to Peter and said, hey, can I get in your boat? A lot of people on the shore, they're pushing me into the ocean. Peter said, yeah, whatever. I got to fish later, but go ahead and preach. So Jesus gets in Peter's boat and he starts preaching to the crowds. And watch this. As Jesus is preaching, Peter's ignoring him. Like some of y'all are doing right now. God bless you. (laughs) Peter is ignoring Jesus while the creator of the universe is preaching to thousands. Here's Jesus. The kingdom of God is at hand. I've come to, to redeem you and I have a plan and a purpose for your life. And Peter's like, I wonder if he knows that I got to leave soon. And he could preach this whole little sermon series that he's preaching, but uh, I need my boat. He was inches away from God and didn't even realize it. Some of you in this room, you are inches away from God. And you don't even realize it. When God was finished preaching, he looks at Peter and he says, have you caught any fish? Peter said, no, we were out all day and we haven't caught anything. God says, take your net and put it on the other side of the boat. Peter takes his net. He puts it on the other side of the boat. They said they caught so much fish that their net began to break. If I'm a fisherman and I have a catch that is so large that my net is breaking, I'm going to do everything that I can to get all that money, I mean all those fish on that boat, because this is what I do to pay my bills. Guess what happened when his nets filled up? Peter forgot about the fish. He dropped to his knees and he said, my Lord and my God. Can I tell you what Peter really said? You care. You're not just a preacher or a do-gooder who wants me to act better. You care about what I care about. You care about the burdens on my heart. I knew that you were God. I just didn't know that you were God that cares. I can see you now. My prayer is that you would see God for who he is, the one that cares for you. The one that cares about what's on your heart. The one that cares about your disappointments and your concerns. Pastor, what was that moment? What was that encounter when you were 16, when you felt called into the ministry? I was reading scripture, and I stumbled across this verse in the Bible, Jeremiah 29, 11. And it says this, it says, I know the plans that I have for you. Miss Ruth, I know the plans that I have for you. What's your name? Yeah, you. Tierra. He knows the plans that he has for Tierra. What's your name? DeAndre. He knows the plans that I have for DeAndre. He knows the plans that I have for Delandria. I know the plans. There's something about that verse where it was no longer a Bible verse. I saw my name in it. He says, Stephen, I know the plans that I have for you. You know what I thought? I know. Plans to clean me up, make me start living holy and be a good Christian. He said, no, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. The God who sees me, I can now see him. I need you to understand in the midst of your disappointment, God sees you. And he's going to turn that picture that you're getting ready to put in the trash into one of the greatest masterpieces that you've ever seen in your life. Let's pray. Father God, we're grateful. God, we're grateful that you see us. And you don't see us to punish us. You don't see us to spite us or to smite us. God, you see us and you love us. 
God, you desire to cover over our sin, cover over our mistakes, and God, turn our greatest disappointments into our greatest joys and our greatest victories. God, we're grateful that you see us. God, I'm praying that you would help us to see you. Just where you are with your eyes closed and your head bowed, if you could pray this prayer with me, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And just give God a moment to make this time, to make this message personal to you. Some of you have given up hope on a certain area or a relationship or a, a situation in your life. And in this moment, I believe that God is restoring that hope. He's saying, you've given up on it, but I've never given up on it. I'm still going to turn that out for your good. Maybe you're in here and you never really realized that that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. The Bible says this, that we love God only because he first loved us. Oh, he loves you. He has a plan. He has a purpose for you. But the question is, what's your response going to be? Because the only proper response is, God, I give you my life. You see, that's what it means to be a Christian. Being a Christian doesn't mean you believe in God. It doesn't mean that you go to church. It means that you've surrendered, that you've given him full control of your life. If you're in here and you say, I've never really asked God to take control. I've never put him in authority over my life. I didn't even realize that I wasn't a Christian, but I want to be. When Christ to the center of my life, if that's you, it'd be my greatest honor, my greatest privilege to introduce you to a God that has been searching for your attention from the day you were born. If you say, Pastor, I'm ready to take that step right where you're sitting. Can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for dying on the cross so that all of my sin, all of my mistakes, anything that can separate us can be erased. Today, I surrender. I give you control of my life. Be my Lord and my Savior and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, church. Can you go crazy for every single person? Thanks again for tuning into this week's message. If you want to learn more about our church, check us out at www.yourdestiny.church. Meet our leadership team, find a way to connect with our church, and partner with us through giving. You can also connect with us on social media by visiting our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Tune in next week for another message from our pastor, Stephen Chandler.